The Guardian. I'm John Plunkett, and coming up on this week's Media Talk, the radio joint venture between the BBC and Commercial Radio gets off to a flyer. With nearly 6 million online listeners, we analyse the first set of audience figures for Radio Player. Also in this podcast... Simon Cowell gets booed on Britain's Got Talent. Is the tide turning against ITV's Mr Nasty? All of that and more in a special half-term edition of Media Talk, which will contain roughly half the media news of a regular show. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. It's a uh, super injunction-free zone this week, so here in the pod to talk fast and loose is Paul Robinson, the uh, Managing Director of Kids Co TV, and uh, Mr Trevor Dan, the uh, former Chief Executive of the Radio Academy, presenter of the Radio Talk podcast, which is only marginally not as good as this one, and Creative Director of the Trevor Dan Company. Did it take you a long time to come up with that name, Trevor? It works on Google. Fantastic, fantastic. Anyway, good to see you both. And uh, But tell you what, I feel like I'm gate-crashing a Radio 1 reunion for the class of 1995. Great radio. Radio 97 to 99 FM. Radio 1. So, Trevor, you were the, uh, I think you were head of Radio 1 production around the same time that Paul was its managing editor. Do you that know right? that's not true? That's not true. We never actually worked together at Radio 1. What? We never actually were there at the same time. Paul left the week before I joined. Correct. Was, are those two things related, or could you not work with a man? Or No, no. It was, I went on to uh, be head of strategy, and Trevor came in, uh, and uh, he uh, became head so of production. So I took part of your yeah. old job and a bit, a bit of someone else's. It was else's. restructured. Yeah. You know, you know, BBC restructures all the time. So we know each other well, but never actually worked together at Radio 1. But, of course, when you were there, Paul, it was still one FM. Well, it was. It was 1FM with, uh, with Bruno Brooks and Simon Bates and Steve Wright, Gary Davis, Jackie Brambles, the whole team. And since then, it's been downhill all the way. And he's yeah, the man who banned status quo. <laughs> Indeed, banned status quo. But I hear status quo, uh, their, their new record, their new long player is Album of the Week on Radio 2, I hear. Is that right? Yeah. Well, not, well, not if well you were done there. them. No, well, no, well, I love you. Do you know, I've been on a status quo record. Let have it, you? I have. I was, uh, I, I was on a B-side of a record interviewing them about having banned them and how we became good friends. Oh, I've got a status quo hey, denim waistcoat. Does that count? <laughs> it, indeed, yeah. yeah. Very nice. Yes, it looks on you. gigs, yes. <laughs> That's enough, Quo. Fab stuff. Uh, well, Vicky Frost is popping along shortly to tell us about uh, Simon Cowell's Week of Woe. But with Paul and Trevor here, it'll be silly to start with anything other than the wireless. And there's been a bit of good news for the industry. The first set of audience figures for Radio Player are out, and they're extremely encouraging. What do you mean, what's Radio Player? It's the joint online venture between the BBC and Commercial Radio, stick with us, that puts around 250 national and local UK stations together on the same website. Imagine that. It was launched two months ago to relatively little fanfare, and early data shows that there were 5.7 million unique listeners tuning in during May. Uh, Paul, nearly 6 million listeners, a good start? Look, it's a very good start. I mean, the first thing is great that both sides of the industry are working together. That's a really good thing. So there's a level playing field. So people will genuinely choose what they want to listen to based on their, their choices and the content of the radio stations. It's a very good start. I think it's important to put in context, though, that in terms of total listening, internet listening is very, very small, less than 4% in total by the latest radio figures. So um, despite all of the concern about internet radio coming and taking away the clothes from terrestrial-based stations, it is yet to happen. So choice 
choice is a, a good thing, but people are very uh, conservative about their radio choices and tend to listen to the stations they like. The great thing about this is I think it gets radio thinking and actually now into a multi-platform world in a way it hasn't been before. Radio has been a little bit slow, certainly behind TV, uh, in really having a proper multi-platform strategy. And if you talk to TV execs today, everybody's thinking about how do you personalise? How do you provide this show when I want it, you know, when, when it's when I want it, not when you schedule it. And radio's still been a linear scheduled medium. This is a really good step in the, in the right direction to actually make radio you know, a modern medium. But the next step is going to be to get, make a mobile version of this, because clearly until you get mobile listening, you don't really get the reach. You know, a, lot of, a lot of listening reach is actually in cars and on, on mobile. But it's a fantastic first step, and congratulations to have both sides working together. Really good start. Yeah, Trevor, it's, it's always encouraging when you see the BBC and commercial radio sort of jo- joining together, working together and singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah, and it, it is a very clever thing. Um, you called it a website. I mean, I think it's best thought of as a radio set that sits inside your computer. And there it is. You can go, oh, I, I, I want to move from Radio 4 to Capital, and there it is, just a click. Um, it's not quite as easy as that, though, because the levels aren't always the same. So some stations are much, much louder than others. So you are fiddling around with the old volume control a bit. And, of course, the commercial stations have all got pre-roll advertising on. And I think that's interesting. I noticed just listening this morning that Global have decided that we could sit through a minute of, of advertising. If you, if you tune into Capital, you get two ads before the station itself starts. GMG have decided that about 15 seconds is what we can take. And so you're, you're through to Simon Bates, if you like, a bit earlier. I think they've, they've got to work out just, just how much of a barrier to entry those pre-rolls are. Yeah, always good to get through to Simon Bates quickly, I find. But um, uh, the, the other thing about it is that um, what's interesting is that uh, before commercial radio started in London, people would listen to about two and a bit radio stations each per week. You know, there's now, you know, 25, 30 commercial stations in London, and they're still listening to two and a bit radio stations per week. It'd be really interesting to see whether people who use Radio Player actually get more promiscuous in their listening and start listening to more different stations. Well, Paul, you mentioned there that uh, online listening only accounts for about 4% of, of, of total listening. Uh, and the intention is that this will give this a, a boost. But ha- uh, how much can it grow? And, and, and will it ever be uh, a genuine uh, rival to sort of DAB as the majority um, platform for radio listening? Well, existing technology means it's not going to be that because it's just not possible economically to provide uh, an alternative, another broadcast alternative at economic rates at the moment. But who knows? I mean, if you believe that in the future all broadcasting, all information will be carried by the internet, and there are those who do believe that, then why would radio be any different? So that might well be a future. But at the moment, um, economics means it's not an alternative, and DAB is the near-term only replacement for FM for broadcast. Long-term, Trevor, do you see online? I mean, my own personal experience, I've stopped using the DAB player um, in parts of the house and just listened through my iPhone or the, uh, or the iPad. Well, I think Paul's right that it depends where you are. If you're in your house and you've got a decent Wi-Fi link, yes, you can listen to, in fact, not just off your iPlayer, but you've got TuneIn Radio and all those other services which you can pull down into your mobile. One of the other things that's interesting about this now is we've been saying it's great to have the BBC and Commercial Radio working together. Well, I was with a very senior person from Bauer, last week at the Music Week Awards, who was um, very discourteous about the uh, UK radio player. And basically, Bauer want the cake and eat it. If you go onto one of their websites and ask for their um, uh, stream, you don't get radio play. You get their own player, which they're keeping with. So I think, you know, Bauer are a bit semi-detached. 
Um, some stations are not yet on it. You know, I went looking for Orion's gem. That's not there. I guess more of them will join. But you do always feel, don't you, when the radio industry is working together, that it's not, um, it's not really as committed as maybe it should be. You know, where are the big ads, you know, saying, hey, everybody, radio player, it's a great thing? Exactly. Why wasn't there more of a, why wasn't there more of a push for it? Uh, I mean, we said 6 million listeners or 5.7 million, which is, which is a good start, but it's, you know, compared that that's in eight weeks uh, radio 2 gets 12 13 million listeners in in a week so paul why why don't you think they made more of a fuss about it or is that all to come well maybe there's no dedicated marketing budget behind it i mean i suspect there isn't i suspect the only marketing is actually on station marketing using using promos and i think radio stations are going to be fairly cautious about how hard they push this because they're going to be thinking if i move my listener from you know where they are now to this new player am i going to devalue my currency and after all you know their currency is selling impacts to advertisers you know largely local advertisers for lots of commercial radio let's not forget it's not just about big stations you know there's a lot of small local stations who are actually about the local community so they're going to think very carefully about this i suspect they're taking a tentative step it's a good step but are they fully behind it all guns blazing probably deliberately not yet i was in a recording studio last week and somebody said oh we just had lulu in doing the ads for dab pause of course a lot of stations won't be broadcasting them that's the yeah, ever, ever, ever thus, ever the problem with, with digital radio. I mean, um, to be fair to the radio centre, I mean, I think Andrew Harrison does do a great job at pulling stations together. The reality is that, you know, Lynx FM and Capital are different bodies altogether, and trying to put them all in one big pot, you know, there's really not a lot, where, lot to share there. They've got different agendas, different markets, different customers. So I think inevitably you're never going to get complete unity, but I think there's further to go. Just finally on that, yes, Trevor, you mentioned the TuneIn Radio app, which is a couple of quid on the iPhone and the iPad. I mean, to compare the two, I, I typed in, um, using the search engine, Ben Folds, a favourite artiste of mine. And, the, and his five. The, the TuneIn Radio came up with uh, sort of 50 offerings of podcasts, various shows, broadcasts, which are one click away from all over the world. You know, I, I did the same on um, the radio player. Zero. So, I, I, frankly, I was a little bit disappointed, and I'm hoping there'll be much more development to come. Well, it's, I think the radio, the radio player is um, absolutely about stations, isn't it? It's about brands, and it's avowedly that, whereas TuneIn Radio is about stuff. And, you know, of course, they're interested in brands, but they're also interested in audio streams and the bands and other forms of music that are on them. It could be that... Um, that, in a way, that's the way to go, because people want content more than they want channels. Okay, well, elsewhere in Radio Land this week, Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's Five Live Friday film show will no longer be made in-house. Our friends at Something Else, that's an independent production company, won the two-year contract to produce it from this autumn. They already look after the network's 606 football phone-in, as well as a whole heap of other BBC shows, such as Radio Force Gardener's Question Time. Trevor, uh, a great win for something else. Well, full disclosure, my company came second in this bidding oh. war. Well, congratulations uh, and commiserations. Uh, so, you know, well done to something else. I mean, I, w- w- what this says to me, the, the, the whole bidding process and some others that I've been involved in recently and am still involved in, is I'm hearing something said now in the BBC that I haven't heard said for a long time, which is, we don't have these skills in our building. And I've been wondering to what extent now the BBC is on an inexorable journey towards being a publisher and away from being a producer. I don't believe it will ever 
um, be just a publisher. I don't think it will ever be the Channel 4 of radio because it will always keep some news um, staff. It will always keep some programme-making staff. But I'm beginning to feel as though that's the direction of travel. And when you see something like Kermode and Mayo going out or, or Brian Matthews Sounds of the 60s, you think, well, that's great for the independent sector and I'm part of it, so that's, that's, that's great. But... Are they are they really sincere that they don't have those skills in house? I'm not sure. I think the but the the model is changing. Well, Paul, the BBC has been under pressure to to commission more of its program radio programming from uh, from independents and do less in house. So this is one part of that. Well, I guess so. I mean, I think Trevor's made an interesting point. I mean, there's two things really. One is a lot of those independents are ex BBC execs, you know, like Trevor, who are you know very skilled radio producers who've gone back to their roots and are making radio programmes. So that's fine. But really, what I ask as a licence fee payer is, what's the benefit to me? You know, is there going to be either enhanced creativity or a lower price? And if there is, that's a really good reason to go out to the independent sector. If neither of those two things happen, you have to ask why is this going on? Because you know, what's going to happen to this this show that wasn't wouldn't have happened had it been made? Um, in-house. The, the, the other point, I think, is that I think if the BBC were to be a publisher broadcaster, you destroy part of what makes it special. You know, I don't think the BBC could possibly be a distinctive public service broadcaster if everything was made out of house like Channel 4. And in fact, Channel 4 is a very good example because Channel 4 has had to reset. I mean, it's it sort of suddenly realised, hasn't it, under a new management, it's sort of lost some of its public service ethos, it's lost some of its DNA, and it's now coming back to what it's originally there for, you know, in the Jeremy Isaacs days. And I think the BBC would have the same problem. So I think, yes, you want independence, but you still need a centre of gravity of in-house production, in my view, both in radio and television. Well, I, whoever it was that first put uh, Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo together must be some kind of radio genius. Uh, oh, who, who was that, Trevor? Um, I couldn't possibly was, comment. How, how did yeah. it come about? <laughs> they, Mark was... Um, I don't think I put them together, actually. I think they were already doing something together. I think what I did was... They were was, Radio 5. It was Johnny Billing who yes, did it, actually. Th- they, were, I, they were doing a show together on the old Radio 5. Is that right? And then Commode came in to do these once-a-week little reviews, um, and um, originally on Simon Bates, and then it became Simon Mayer. What I did was put Mark on doing his own film show which I can't remember the name of, but it was a, it was a Radio 1 film show. No, it was show. a very good show too. It was very good. But um, it started, that he did with Wendy Lloyd. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. So but it was actually Johnny Billing about, 90, about 1990, Johnny Billing. So it's been going 10 years now. Is it a good listen? It wears me down, 20, frankly. 20. Um, it's too long now, in, in my view. This is probably why we didn't win the pitch. Um, it, I think it was much better as a weekly slot on a daily show than it has become as a weekly programme. And the problem that they've got now, and it's slightly counterintuitive in some ways to put it out to an indie but the the problem they've got is keeping it part of the radio five live family because five live is off to salford and radio two have now got simon and simon is becoming more and more of a radio two person naturally so they've got this odd two hours on a friday which is often interrupted by other things or taken off or put in different places on the schedule and the job of something else is going to be to make it absolutely part of the Radio 5 family whilst not being anywhere near any of its siblings. That's the challenge. And that explains why it went to an indie, I, I guess, because Mayo can't make it from uh, London to Salford or vice versa on a Friday afternoon, so it had to be produced in London. And films tend to be watched, uh, screenings tend to be in London, don't they, John? Let's not be too cynical. 
Well, talking of things that go on too long, um, Kenneth Branagh is to star in an eight-hour drama epic on Radio 4 in September. It's an adaptation of uh, Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate. Now, uh, I'm assuming you've all read this uh, this wartime masterpiece, uh, a mere 912 pages in its current paperback edition. Uh, Paul, it's exactly what Radio 4 should be doing, is it? Absolute public service broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the work, but something that's actually undiscovered relatively and, and bringing it to an audience and using someone like Branagh to really make an epic of it is exactly what Radio 4 should be doing. Big set pieces that Radio 4 can really get behind. Uh, no one else is ever going to do this in radio. It's something that's really BBC. It's absolutely perfect for Radio 4. And I don't know the work, but I did do a bit of reading around it, and it seems like the, the whole work itself is, is in itself a huge story. I mean, you know, the, it was an attempt to get it published. Um, the, you know, the Politburo said, if it gets published, then we're going to arrest you, the author. I mean, he died before it was ever actually published. You know, so it's actually a, a, an unknown gem that hopefully Radio 4 can really bring to life. Uh, Trevor, I was interested in the scheduling uh, around this. They're going to put it in every Radio 4 drama slot across the entire week, uh, apart from the Archers, which is uh, brave, I guess, is one word for it, in the sense that um, uh, what Radio 4 listeners don't like having their schedule messed around with. They don't, but what a great opportunity for this idea, but also for um, making drama more important. I I had to judge some um, drama entries in the Radio Production Awards, and uh, I'm... I'm one of those people, I, I, I'm sorry to say this, who doesn't really enjoy much radio drama. I always feel I can hear the scripts rattling in the background and people are reading it. And it, it, it never seems to me to be terribly magical. But I think there is an opportunity now for a whole bunch of new people coming in, having done you know creative radio courses, and it, with the new facilities you've got, to actually make radio drama better, to make it more modern, to make it just you know fly and i don't know what this is going to be like but what a great opportunity to just big up drama uh, also at radio 4 there's something rather special going on with their desert island discs uh, website and they've uh, an, uh, an archive service where you can listen to around 500 of the shows that have uh, been on down the years and uh, trevor a couple of years ago you couldn't even get uh, desert island discs on a, on a on a podcast but now now we've got 500 shows to pick through oh, i it's, think it's fantastic two points if i may firstly the site is brilliant and I'm hoping it's the thin end of a very big wedge, you know, because we as licensed payers, we've paid for all this stuff that's sitting in the BBC archives. If we'd like to hear a John Peel show from 1975 tonight, why shouldn't we? It's sitting there. So I hope the BBC will carry on and open more and more of its archives up to us online. Second of all, Kirsty Young is fantastic at this show. She's quite the best presenter of it for many, many years. And her interview with Roger Waters, who's a very, you know, famously evasive rock star from Pink Floyd last week, was just absolutely terrific. She just managed to, by, you know, slightly cuddling up to him, she just made him tell you stuff that you can't imagine him saying on the radio uh, until, you know, very recently. So, you know, well done her. I think she's breathed new life into this, you know, what could be a potentially very tired old format, but yeah. just isn't it. It's really and humming. she's also made it more modern, hasn't she? I mean, she's very intelligent. She's very articulate. But, you know, she's made it slightly less stuffy. Uh, and more contemporary. And I, I think she's a great host. I think she's really come, come into our own. If we can make a point about how to do radio interviews, that's how to do it. Absolutely. Because her research is always yeah. absolutely impeccable, but she doesn't throw it you know, down your throat. She doesn't threaten. She, she pulls things out. It's a very, very clever piece of work. I agree. Vicky Frost's here, so that must mean one thing. Yep, it's time for a change of demographic. It's also time to talk TV. And it's that man again who's been hogging the headlines, uh, Mr. Simon Cowell, who uh, was booed, and uh, not just because he was wearing a shirt that was unbuttoned to the navel. 
Oh, gosh, what does Simon Cowell wear? Just what's the most terrible things. Well, he's meant to have been booed over Cheryl. I sort of can't believe anything around Britain's Got Talent and the X Factor <laughs> anymore. anymore. I just can't. I can't, you know, I have no idea what's real, what's not real, how much of it is all a publicity stunt, how much Cheryl Cole really has just, you know, thrown away Simon Cowell's number and doesn't ever want to talk to him again sort of thing. It's so ludicrous. It's, it's kind of got out of control, I think. Cheryl, if you're out there and you want to talk about it, uh, mediaguardian.co.uk find my details there but uh, yeah I mean that the fact you don't believe it anymore does that make it more interesting or does it make you want to switch off it is quite interesting trying to unpick sort of what you presumed would be a PR stunt is, is it still a PR stunt do we know it is quite interesting to a point but it, it's kind of bigger than either of the shows are almost now it's just got into such a circus but Britain's Got Talent, it's, it's interesting the timing, isn't it, shall we say? You know, it's just as Britain's Got Talent comes into it, it's sort of big week, and Simon Cowell's all in the headlines, sort of as we get into that live week. Yeah, the viewing figures are holding up, so sort of 10 million plus. Mm. Uh, How does it compare with, uh, with previous series? I've got to be honest, I think there's only so much dogs jumping through hoops with a woman and a broom that uh, any one woman can take. So I haven't been watching because it does actually take a massive commitment, Britain's Got Talent, I think. You've got to watch it all this week, every night this week. <laughs> oh, You've got that's to be a massive watching. commitment. Well, it is a bit of a commitment. Like every day you know, for a week. Well, I've, I've watched all of them so far. Paul, how is BGT? I, I think it's great. I think, I think the scheduling is really good. You know, 7.30 to 9, half hour off for Coronation Street, make a cup of tea, come back, get the results at 9.30 fantastic what i think is really interesting is the extent to which uh, the hoff and the other judges are sort of i think schmoozing up to simon cowell you know as soon as yeah. simon cowell says oh, i don't like the bell ringers who you know were interesting but odd um and then you know what happens is you know oh we don't like the bell ringers we're going to vote for the other person when it comes to the vote off i think they're really feeling nervous about how simon views the decisions they've made in his absence and i think it shows on air i I think you're right i think in the auditions you really got that feeling of them sort of second guessing what he wanted to see i mean that's always bad i think when you have somebody who's so in control of it that nobody else feels they can make a decision properly and i do think that came across in in the auditions actually as well paul as our resident bgt devotee uh what's your verdict on uh, big mac well do you know when he was announced i thought mm, not too keen on that i don't i don't really like him as a stand-up very much but i've been really quite enjoying him he is witty he has got this ability to pull a little line out although i think with cowl back he's been somewhat muted i think he's definitely been you know playing it safe um he comes across as being a little bit of apologetic everyone is nice and marvelous and no one gets criticized so i in a way cal coming back has actually dampened down the other judges including mcintyre he was good during auditions he was i am not a michael mcintyre fan and i and i still thought he was actually I, i was he was good i thought on the panel and i was very kind of lukewarm about him when he was announced on the other hand the half is better with simon there because he's been so over the top i mean so american odiously so he's actually muted a bit more and that's been more tolerable well, on to uh, Cal's other pet project, and uh, I know it's Trevor's second favourite show, <laughs> uh, The X Factor. Uh, now, Cal was under pressure to make Cheryl Cole a judge on the, on the British show after she was uh, tragically dumped from the American version. Uh, but it turns out he hasn't. And so th- the judges on the UK X Factor, Vicky, they're going to be, uh, what, Barry Garlow, uh, Ke- Kelly Rowland, and uh, Google, Google, Talisa from Endubs. Talisa Endubs, yes, so we're all the right demographic for her. What a lineup. 22? <laughs> but there's not a Geordie accent between them. What do you make of that? I, I make of that that it looks entirely underwhelming. I can't imagine any of them being particularly interesting, to be honest. I mean, Gary Barlow, I mean, nice man, I think, but, you know, pretty dull. 
Louis, we know, is just ridiculous and rubbish and never particularly has anything to say. He's always been the worst judge and he's the only one who survived. Um, Kelly Rowland, you know, fine, but I'm not that interested, really. Teresa, I don't know. So maybe she'll be marvellous. But it it does feel a bit kind of, you know, whatever. I I can't imagine that we're going to get... You know, last year it really was all about the panel as much as it was about the stars. And I just can't imagine that X Factor this year is going to have that same kind of feeling. I mean, I say this, but it'll be bigger than ever because this is what happens every time. Paul, what do you reckon? Will it be like strictly after Arlene left or will it be, uh, will it be half decent? Well, I, I agree. I was underwhelmed with the announcement. And I, I wonder whether, in fact, um, Cheryl wasn't announced because it had been assumed she was going to work in the US. And maybe they'd already signed the panel up. And almost like they rushed out the announcement quickly once all the speculation about Cheryl started to uh, hot up. And I wonder whether they rushed it out so as to try and quell that down because she wasn't signed for the UK. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't rule out at all Cheryl Cole turning up. I on think show. she. I think what will happen is she'll come back at some point. I mean, like this, you know, the, maybe as a contestant, the, the, the Louis Wall sacking <laughs> last season, you know, win. which was clearly a stunt, wasn't it? I mean, he wasn't sacked, was he? Well, the whole that's what the whole thing. You know, the whole thing's ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah. You, it's just trying to work out what's a stunt, what's real. Sort of makes your head melt a little bit now. Trevor, um, now you're a radio man. You deal in voices, accents. Well, what next would you suggest for uh, for Cheryl? Woman's Hour. Oh, I think Radio Two. I was just going to say, actually, listening to to you guys talking about uh, what's on the television in the evening makes me glad that I don't watch the television very often because radio is really rather good. And there's, there's, a, there's some very good programmes on all kinds of channels and I highly recommend it. And, uh, Dancing dogs aren't too good on the radio, though. They, they've never they don't worked. work terribly well on the they radio. And the magic's not so hot either. <laughs> the magic doesn't work too well. <laughs> I think Cheryl should do the, the voiceover on the next series of Big Brother. Uh, seamless replacement. Very good, John. Thanks. Very good. Put that on my CV. Before we go, Trevor, Paul and Vicky, uh, why don't you tell us something you've learned from your last seven days in the media? Now, uh, Paul, can you start us off? Uh, well, I haven't really got one this week, actually. I know that's pretty appalling. Well, get out. I know, I know, it's shocking. But I'm, I'm just going to say that, you know, um, Simon Cowell used to be a plugger at Radio 1, just to complete the loop here. No, nope, I'll, and he used I'll to buy come this. In, he used to on. come into Radio 1 yep. uh, with all the dodgy records. He always had crappy records, you know, Wonder Dog and Robson and Jerome and all this stuff. And, Ugh. you know, Trevor's grinning, I'm sure, agrees. I mean, the fact that Simon Cowell can go on a panel as a judge and put millions on the audience, I mean, how frustrating is that? What did you think back in those days? You think, what an idiot, this guy will never go anywhere. No, I, th- I thought he was a good plugger, but my God, didn't, didn't see this. Trevor, any thoughts? I have two things, because he, he didn't have any. You uh, have, both learned from uh, Mark Byford's leaving party oh, at Broadcasting nice. House. One is that the new Broadcasting House newsroom is enormous. It is this big. It's like, um, it hasn't got any desk His hands yet. are a long way apart. So uh, it's like standing in uh, Stansted Airport. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll leave you to um, work out. The other thing I learnt was that Jenny Murray, whose phone went off in the middle of Mark Thompson's speech, has as her ringtone the Archers theme. Oh, the Archers. The Archers. Oh, very good. Well, Gwyneth Williams would approve. Uh, Vicky, were you like me, not at Mark Byford's leaving do? No, I wasn't at Mark You were watching The Apprentice. Yes, and uh, and other things. Uh, what have I learnt this week? I have learnt that the BBC really needs to get a new gardening programme. This is more thought, I suppose, than I learnt. But, you know, if you look at all the acres of coverage they gave to Chelsea last week, and then they still just have, you know, half an hour of Gardener's World each week, they need to have more gardening programmes and good ones because there is an audience for them. Now, I gave up on Gardener's World in the, in the revamp before last. Is it? better these days oh yeah yeah yes. should Since i come monty, back yeah you should yeah monty has rejuvenated it completely it goes with the rest of your listening and viewing john very well it does doesn't it yes 
<laughs> yeah, this uh, is me and John. We like gardening, the archers and Radio 4. It's an exciting time at The Guardian. Uh, well, uh, it's even more exciting than St Albans. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Mr Trevor Dan, Vicky Frost and Paul Robinson. Our blog and Twitter details are at guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk. And Matt's back next week, so it's time for me to sign off. I'm John Plunkett and Media Talk is produced by Ben Green. Thanks for listening. Not off. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.